Merrill Memo with Matthew Dickinson from Dubbo Regional Council. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's edition of the Merrill Memo. Well, today folks, we're going to look into the latest citizenship ceremony. We're going to find out a little bit about our new citizens who have made this Dubbo region of ours their home. We're also going to find out about the Gift of Life baton relay which came through town this week. Along with, is Dubbo about to receive a new $150 million medical precinct? Is it about to be built in our town? Hello there, Matt. How are you, mate? Really good, and it's actually a really exciting weekend at the moment. Obviously, Easter. This is released on Easter Sunday. Yes. And there's so much happening at the moment. Well, and of course, it's Happy Easter to you. Oh, thank well. you. And same to you. I hope you got lots of Easter eggs this morning. Oh, yes, yes. I'm feeling them right now, let me tell you. <laughs> good work, good. So one of the things that I like to do is have a bit of an idea of what's going on. I can never profess to know everything that's going on in our community because there is so much going on. But looking through some of the What's On guides, mm. for example, just talking to various people that are doing things in our community, we've had the Stuart Town Man from Ironbark Festival. Oh, yes. That was yes. on Easter Saturday. Every year it's on Easter Saturday. Baranong Easter Fishing Classic is on over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Easter Tournament at Demo Golf Club. We've got a Toyota car show or show and shine, about 60 cars I think they've got with Excellent. that. And a Motocana. Drag racing out of the Wellington Aerodrome. I you keep get, offering... Do you get dressed up in the drag for that? Or is that... <laughs> did they run that down well. Macquarie Street? Or is that a different type of drag racing? Uh, well, we can do both. <laughs> but I keep offering to take one of my electric vehicles down to Wellington to the Aerodrome there and show how yeah, that goes against yeah, some of the absolutely. fire-breathing petrol vehicles. Yeah, but they've never taken me up on the offer yet, but I'm happy to do that sometime. <laughs> We've got Morris Park has got some car racing there and... And Australian Palouse Pony, 40th National Show, Rotund- Rotunda, sorry, Rotunda Markets were on this morning right, on yes. Macquarie Street. Uh, actually, no, they were moved to Victoria Park. The east one is too big for Macquarie Street, so yep. they take that around to Victoria yep. Park. So a whole range of things. And actually, you get a bit of an indication when we were there at Parkrun yesterday morning, mm. it was a big Parkrun. Now, Parkrun mm. Dubbo does fantastically well. We talk about it, we've talked about it other times, yes. always in the top 10 across the nation for participants. But I actually see when you've got a holiday on, so New Year, Christmas, Easter, for example, you see that it's a bigger park run than normal. And what that tells me, without having lots of data to back Mm. it up, Mm. is that there are lots of people that have travelled to Dubbo. Now, people from Dubbo could travel away for Easter as well, but you seem to see when there's a holiday park run on, you seem to see the normal park runners there, the people you'd normally see each week, yes. and then a whole bunch of newbies. And there was a guy who did it in about 16 minutes, I think. He, he was, was amazing. He was a long uh, way out in front. I, it's been a long time since I've seen a, a bloke pass me that early. <laughs> I've people pass me, don't get me wrong, but he passed me very early. Yeah, so, but again, that was a, a good indication. It was such a, a big park run, mm. and, and that was what I was thinking of. I should have been thinking about running, but I was thinking, wow, there's a lot of people yeah. here. Must be lots of people visiting Dubbo, and then all of those, a certain percentage will come along and be yeah. a part of park run. We had about so, 350 participants actually yesterday. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a brilliant it's, one, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's great. Yeah. And they do get great numbers normally, but you do see those big holiday ones. So great all round. Happy Easter to everyone out there. Yes. And hopefully they participated in some of the things. Most people will be listening to this after they've participated in a lot of these things around Easter. But yeah, happy Easter, everyone. Hope you had a great time. But Dubbo was absolutely booming mm. and buzzing, really, over the time. And I got out to a few of those various activities over there. But it's it really just did feel like a real buzz around here. Isn't it wonderful too, you know, when you get out in those sort of uh, situations like that, you, you, you're seeing all these new people in town and it's uh, there's a real warmth to it. Even, you know, on Good Friday, I was at the, the Catholic Church there and, and they had about six or 700 people here as well. So you get a lot of families back and look, it's, it's wonderful for Dubbo. You love being in Dubbo this time of year. Weather's always great. Well, it's a bit cool right now, but it's always <laughs> normally fantastic. So again, happy Easter, everybody.
Citizenship ceremony. So, we've got some new citizens, Matt. Apparently, 33. 33. Yeah. Isn't that fantastic? We actually are going to start having these more often because we're getting them almost to be too big. Mm. The last citizenship we had was on Australia Day, so end of January. We've really only had just over two months, and already we had 33 more people ready to be citizens in yes. our community. And we used to do them about every three months, sometimes even every four months. Right. And we used to get groups coming through of maybe 20, 20-ish. Yeah. But it gets to stage 33 is manageable. If it starts getting into the 40s, it mm. starts to become almost too big a group because you want to make people feel mm. special. Yeah. You all have individual photos with them, with their certificates. You have group photos with them. If you just felt like you were one of too many it, mm. that day, which is very significant. Yeah. I love the story for one of my staff that he he's – uh, wife, he's sorry, his fiance at the time, he said on the mantelpiece in his fiance's home was a picture of his fiance and her parents and me from the day that these And you made the mantelpiece. Made the mantelpiece <laughs> as part of the citizenship. And he said, here I was the fiance. I haven't made the mantelpiece yet. So <laughs> anyway, they're married now. So he's finally said he's made the mantelpiece as well. Excellent, so, excellent. That's but it, it's a special day and I can it understand is. that. Yes, yes, but yes. 33 people. And what I love, it, well, let's run through a couple of things first. Where do they come from? Well, that's the obvious question is like, you know, these sort of 33 people, are we getting 33 people from the same region of the world or are they from a multitude of places? Like, where? what's the breakdown? It's changed a lot. And I've noticed from when I did my first citizenships way back in 2011 mm. till today, the people that are at those citizenship ceremonies used to be predominantly Great Britain, probably UK in mm. general, yep. and New Zealand, a bit of US, so mainly Caucasian. Yep. Now we're finding that it's mainly India, Bangladesh, Nepal, yeah, so right. okay. uh, that Indian subcontinent type area, yep. dramatically different in yep. what you're seeing there. And I think overall our culture, we're seeing a lot of difference there. Mm. This one had one little slight difference, but in general, stuck to that same theme. Yep. Number one was India. We had nine people from India. Number three, I'll come back to number two in a second. Number mm. three was Bangladesh with five. Myanmar. My, I always, oh, Myanmar. Myanmar. I yeah. always struggle with that yeah. pronunciation. Uh, three people from there. Nepal, three. New Zealand, two. Right. Sri Lanka, two. Canada, one. Fiji, one. And Portugal, one. Number two in our list was Britain right. with six. Okay, so it's still up there. Well, I actually was a bit intrigued. When I saw the numbers come through, I went, oh, that's unusual. We haven't mm. seen many from, from Britain, Great Britain, or the UK lately. And then when I had a bit more of a look at it, that consisted of one family of five. Right, So okay. that probably skewed yeah. the data 90% slightly. 90% came from one family. <laughs> that's right, yeah. <laughs> but talking to the people, that's what I really love, mm. talking to people, and I like to say to them, First of all, where did you come from? Obviously, mm. we've finished the formal ceremony. They all became citizens. They all said, oi, 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 when they heard Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. So Lovely. that's all fantastic. Yeah, so the old latent calls are still strong. I love that. Absolutely yeah. right. And then I say, so where did you come from? And what brought you to Australia? And what brought you to Dubbo? Mm. And the stories were different, but they had a common theme. They found out about Dubbo in a variety of different ways. Either a family member was already here, a friend mm. had visited, had been here. They might have been here on a trip sometime. They're in Australia. But all of them love the lifestyle and mm. the friendliness. There's no doubt about it. They've chosen right? Dubbo for those facets. One person who actually was one of the people that came from Britain said that they decided that they'd actually been to Townsville for right. an extended trip, a, a sort of a, a short work or long holiday. I'm not yeah. sure which sort one Sort of was. feeling out the city as well from the sound of things. Yeah. Well, they wanted to feel Australia out, and yeah, they love yeah. Townsville, but just the humidity mm. and the mosquitoes. And they went back to to England, and they went and the Queenslanders. Oh, but I won't mention that. <laughs> that's right, that's <laughs> a part of it. <laughs> but they went back to England. and They went, oh, it's just so 
dreary and cloudy yeah. and rainy. We could go back to Australia. So they started looking, but they wanted to be lower than Townsville, obviously. They didn't mm. want to have the humidity. Yes. And they started looking, and then just started looking for jobs. And basically, their search narrowed down to somewhere in this region and then looking for jobs. And when they saw jobs advertised at various locations, including Dubbo, yeah. they did some research online and went, that's the place we've got to be. Came here before they took the job yeah. and went, yep, we absolutely want to be here. So just it was actually quite pleasing to me to hear that it wasn't just a random thing mm. or uh, the government said I had to come here to keep my visa or reasons that you didn't think reflected that yeah. Dubbo was a great place to be. Yeah. Everyone I talked to, and I didn't talk to every one of the 33 individually about their story, about yeah. their journey, but all the ones that I did talk to talked about the fact it was about the lifestyle, about the feeling they had when they'd mm. been here, about what they'd read online about our city. So all very exciting. But mm. how they came here, a variety of different ways. I mean, yeah. the Fiji couple, for example, it was only one. The other one, the husband was already an Australian citizen and his wife had been made an Australian citizen. But yeah. they'd gone a journey via New Zealand and lived in Melbourne for a time. Oh, really? From Melbourne, they'd moved to Dubbo. And one of the things was interesting. They said they went back down to Melbourne. Some friends had a function on down there. So they went back down there. And they go back to Melbourne and went, oh, Gee, do we miss this place? And then after a day, they said, no, we realised we hadn't missed Melbourne. We right? wonder if we had, but yeah. we could hardly wait to get back to Dubbo. So That's lovely. They, they've come here from yeah. a variety of different locations, and we welcome them one and all, and that's the exciting part. Well, you know, the great thing is, I think, is the fact that the more people we get here, and, and obviously that the Asian culture, particularly the, uh, that southern part of Asia, India, Bangladesh, those communities, they're quite a growing community here in town. So I can oh. only imagine these numbers will continue to expand as yeah. the support networks expand, as the family groupings expand. This is really exciting, and I love hearing these backstories. I really do. Yeah, and I have actually said to our local newspapers in the past, Please come along because mm. I think the stories would play out very well in a written article. Probably not so much on radio because you just haven't got enough time to really get mm. the whole story. You, you yeah. can obviously there's a lot more you can put in a newspaper than you can on radio. You're so limited in time, and I, I I know they did it for a little while, but they came along and just picked out some random people and asked for their background, their story, their journey. Mm. I'd love them to do it again, and I have talked to them about it. But unfortunately, we didn't have any media along there on on the, during the week when we did this citizenship, but. It's just, I think it actually would be very uplifting for Dubbo people yep. to hear about what's actually happening and why people are moving to the yeah, city. It gives yeah. you a bit of a sense of pride. Absolutely. And I do say, I, I try and mix it up what I do say at Citizenship Ceremonies, but everyone I say something that along the lines of, I get excited when I hear that people want to leave their country, which mm. is a big thing to do, mm. and move to my country. So I feel very proud mm. of Australia. But then when they say, out of all the places, 7.6 million square kilometres in Australia, yep. they choose Dubbo. That's right. I yeah. go, wow, that's yeah. fantastic. How exciting is that? And interestingly enough, there was a, a group uh, that was funded by Multicultural New South Wales, this is in Sydney, mm. to establish a migrant support service. So when migrants come to this nation, now yes. this was focused on Indian migrant support, but when people come from India to this nation, just getting some sort of support, mm. And they had a meeting and they told us that they've chosen Dubbo as where they're going to set up essentially their headquarters. Oh, wow. Okay. And have more support services regionally in general, but it'll be focused or centred here in Dubbo. So Isn't that fantastic? Again, I think that's a, a bit of a combination of the numbers we've got coming to yeah, Dubbo, yeah. but also the fact that they see that Dubbo people are very welcoming, yeah. open our arms up and say, come along 
and be part of this wonderful well, we community. We truly are an embracing community. There's, you've only got to go. We talked about some of these events and you go to these events and, and you see the diversity of people in these places we go to. And as I said, I was there on Friday at the church, the Catholic church, and there lots lots of different people from different nations and groups around the world with the park run there the other day. You'll go down to the, uh, you know, to the rotunda markets and these type of things and the diversity of people there. It makes for a wonderful community that we live in yeah, and to have that right. sort of level of diversity. So that's fantastic. So the, the next one, is that going to be in two months' time again? Well, or? we're... We normally would have it, say, two and a half, maybe three months' yeah. time, but we're actually looking at that as we speak, as right. one of the conversations we're having after this citizenship ceremony, saying we probably need to bring them forward a little yeah. bit and maybe end up with having a few more each year mm. rather than the, the normal – well, we've already had more each year than we used to years ago, so yeah. maybe keep doing that process. So, yeah, look, fascinating, and I, I do like the whole concept. And this one, obviously, we invite along – our councillors and our mm. state and federal representatives. This one, we had Mark Colton come along, so it's good Terrific. to see the federal rep yeah, there. Great. Our deputy mayor, Richard Ivey, was there as well. We didn't actually have many councillors. Sometimes we get six or seven councillors come along, but again, work commitment to all the rest of it. But mm. I think they get a buzz out of it as well, the fact that you've got the mayor and the federal member and the deputy mayor, but these people think it's important enough yes. to come along and be part of it and try and make it somewhat individualised, mm. yes, you are doing some parts as mm. a group, but try and make it somewhat But again, this is what we do well here. This is part of the reason people come here too. I, I think even just walking around talking to them, people appreciate the fact that you're taking the time. You didn't just come in, mm. do the official part and run out the door. You're spending time with them and most mm. of them will tell me they've never met a mayor or a member of parliament before and it's exciting for them to meet mm. Mark Colton or myself or some councillors. So that's all nice, but again, it's part of that welcoming process yeah. that we have. Well, welcome to all our new members of our community. During the week, Matt, uh, I noticed here that you and the Deputy Mayor attended a meeting of the Yeovil Progress Association. So are we talking all of Yeovil here? I didn't realise that uh, Yeovil was sort of part of our region. Well, it's not quite. Not quite. Okay. So you went out there to say hello? (laughs) That's right. I just thought it'd be a nice thing to do. Just a nice thing to drop in? Buckenbar Creek is important in Yeovil. Don't say that drunk. (laughs) Because on one side of Buckenbar Creek, you've got the main part of Yeovil, and that's in Cabonshire Council. Right. On this side of Buckenbar Creek, yes. you've got a small part of Yeovil called North Yeovil, okay. and that's in the Dubbo Regional Council, LGA. Oh, right. used to be in the old the Wellington Creek divides Council. the two, does it? It does, absolutely oh, right. right. So it, it used it, to be in the old is, Wellington Is there like trial. a civil rivalry in the town between the north and the south? Or? I think they just see themselves as Yeovil. Okay. But it's interesting because when you're drawing boundaries, how many years ago Wellington and Cabon were first mm. set up, when they were drawing the boundaries there, a creek seems like a logical thing. Rivers, creeks yeah, yeah, are sometimes used so. for yes, right. state borders or for government uh, council borders. So that was obviously the logical place. But it does get a bit confusing and a mm. bit probably frustrating for residents of Yeovil and North Yeovil because mm. they might be talking about a road and, well, that road, oh, well, that part of the road's Caban and this yeah, part of the road is Division yeah, yeah, Council. That's exactly right. That's yeah. right, yeah. And I have had a discussion, uh, just a very informal discussion with the Mayor of Caban, Kevin, and mm. I were at a fun- function one day and I said, Kevin it would make sense for the little part of North Yeovil to be in Cabon. Hmm. And there is a process you can go through to have a boundary adjustment. Okay. And that would be one. What I think was his response to that? Oh, to he say. was happy with that. He okay. said it, it makes yeah, sense yeah. to him as well because, again, sometimes he'll be talking about things and someone will say, oh, now in the cemetery, Kevin, oh, no, sorry, the cemetery, that's the regional council. You have to go and sort out that. So, so is there only one cemetery in town? It seems to be only one cemetery there. So, okay, right, I can see this is going to get confusing. Yes, all right. <laughs> yes. So if you die in Yeovil, you're going to get buried in oh, North Yeovil. So, yep. yeah, okay. issues there all yeah, over the place. Yeah. And, and roads is probably the biggest issue, people mm. talking about roads. I mean, one, I mean, so basically the Progress Association invited 
us along or invited yeah. me along. And the deputy mayor lives in the old Wellington Shire, so I said it'd be a good idea for him to come along. In fact, yes. all councillors were invited, but again, it's hard for people to get time mm. out of their busy mm. schedules. So the deputy mayor and I went along, and really it was just an invitation to come along. And we're happy to hear about issues in our part of the council area, but just a general discussion around a whole range of things. There were probably 20-odd mm. people there. They were discussing a whole range of things that were not of great relevance to us, but it's, it's always interesting to yep. sit there. And they actually did say to us at the beginning, would you like to talk first because we've got things that don't necessarily involve the regional council? I said, no, no, I'm actually mm. quite happy to sit back and listen to all the things that are happening, and then when it becomes relevant for us, we'll certainly chime in. And so yep. that was how it went. So we yep. learned about a whole range of things. But uh, I suppose one of the things that is fascinating in that process is the – the whole process of how you get things done and how you get things changed. Mm. And they did talk about some roads and there was someone there who said that the mayor of Kaban went down a certain road and realised how rough it was so he got it fixed up. And I jokingly said that, well, Kevin has much more power than I do because I can't just go along a road and say this is a bit rough, mm. instruct mm. my staff to go and fix it up. Yes. Because yeah. what I – and I kind of talk about this a fair bit with the mm. councillors. Our job as councillors is to set policy, set the framework, set – the big picture agenda, yeah. not to go and look at individual roads and say, go and fix it up. Yeah. But I think that's probably a bit of the difference between a, a smaller council and a larger council. Mm. In a larger council, you have to have programmed, oh, scheduled ways. Follow, yeah, and yeah. you've got to follow those. If yeah. if the council is run, I'm not having a go at Kevin here because mm. there are different things that happen, but if council is run by me going out for a drive on a road and going, oh, this is terrible, ring up Jimmy, Jimmy, quick get the equipment out here tomorrow, this is a terrible road, let's get it fixed up. Well, it's not a very efficient way to no. go about things. One of the great suggestions that I absolutely loved from that meeting mm. was the community there told me that we have our staff who do some of the mowing and the maintenance around the North Yeovil part of Yeovil yeah. who will load up the equipment they need. They drive in a truck out to North Yeovil with the staff that are needed there. Mm. They do the work which takes them a few hours. Mm. Then they load all the equipment back up and drive back to wherever they're working in the Wellington, Dubbo, Geary area, whatever it might be. And they said that seems like a very resource-hungry way of taking care of the obligations that we have in North Yeovil. So why don't you just pay Cabon Shire? Mm. Their guys are there doing the work already. They've just got to come across the creek. The the creek and uh, and do do that as well, a couple of hours and happy days. And I said, that's a fantastic idea. I haven't had a chance yet to talk to Kevin about that, but I don't have a problem with that idea at all because – that, to me, would be a cost-saving exercise yeah. for Dubbo yeah. and make it more Time efficient. Time efficient and cost-efficient, oh, I'd suggest. Fantastic. Yeah. So you don't know what you're going to get out of these yeah. community meetings. Yeah. There, there was a, a discussion around the cemetery. Now, the cemetery typically has three to maybe four burials a year, and they put forward a whole range of improvements they'd like to have in the cemetery, and the improvements sounded fantastic. Mm-hmm. But I did say that sounds great, but the reality is there is just not the budget mm. for the money that we generate from that cemetery – it probably would have been several hundred thousand dollars to spend mm. on that cemetery okay. for three or four burials a year. But it's not to say the ideas weren't good ideas, yeah. it's just that we don't have the budget. What I did say is what you're better off doing is listing out those various things, listing out the priority order, get that through to council. We might come up with a five-year plan, maybe a 10-year plan yep. to get those things done. So don't just ignore it, don't just forget about it. Let's get them done, but just don't have the expectation that we can do it in one budget time frame because mm. we just don't have the budget. And again, I come back to, we can say to the community, we can go and spend all this money on the cemetery or go and fill some potholes on the roads. Mm. People say, fill the potholes on the roads. Thanks very much. That's, <laughs> that's right. obviously so the, the focus at the moment. Yes, yeah, that's right. Yes. But I, I welcome Yeovil, or thank Yeovil for inviting us along. Yep. I actually found it quite good. And, and Richard certainly had a bit of feedback from a couple of residents saying that they found it 
very productive and Good. and people in the room talk with respect. So that was fantastic. And within the next two days, I had three phone calls from people in the meeting who just wanted to follow up on a couple of things that we yep. talked about. So I think those things are good. And we do, well, I certainly get out to as many things as I can, but it is a big LGA and I don't mm. make it to everything. Seven and a half thousand square kilometres. Yes. It's a big LGA, so you can't get to everything all the time, but as much as possible you can. And, uh, and I actually quite enjoy yeah, hearing those and, groups. And to meet the people and to see what's going on in the smaller communities as well. That's right. And those ideas, like that resource sharing we talked about, mm. that's a great idea. Absolutely. So let's grab those ideas when we can. Yeah. I notice here, Matt, uh, the Western Plains Science and Engineering Challenge. Yeah, this is another one of these little moments whereby getting out into the community and this time around with the kids. I'm assuming this, we're talking about the kids here, we're not talking Correct. about the adults, the engineers getting together in town, are we? The civils well, some and the... of them as well. So. Oh, so, okay, they're, they're competing against each other as well. I well, like they, don't, they don't compete, but they certainly go on They help out and assist, excellent. Yeah, right. So what was happening this year? Well, this was, it's been going for a number of years now. It's a four-day program. They have the high schools for the first two days. Right. And then the junior schools for the next two days. A range of Rotary clubs get together and they do mm-hmm. a fantastic job in providing lots of the volunteers. University of Newcastle provides the structure so they provide okay. all the props and the tools they basically get so in a, a lot of different groups here sort of working together is oh yeah the, yes. the rotary is the rotary are they the guys who coordinate all of this or is there a set coordination group or there are people they, they actually have a, a committee that's made up of different rotary club members yeah. in dubbo and they coordinate that with the university of newcastle mm. and then they get the schools together and they bring all those together so fantastic what i normally like to do is i typically get a couple of engineers from council and a couple of junior engineers, which is good for the kids to see some people that are engineers because obviously the whole focus of this is to try and get people interested in science and engineering. And so the engineers come along and one of the fantastic challenges is the Bridge building challenge. I've heard about the bridge building challenge. And so the, you got to get these guys to compete against each other. Is, is this where this is going? Well, no, we don't. We compete against the kids. So. Oh, you compete. <laughs> <laughs> and the bridge building challenge, you get yeah. a certain amount of materials, balsa wood, you get a certain sticky tape and various things, and then yeah. you've got to build is, a bridge. Is it a weight-bearing sort of thing? Correct. And then yeah, you, okay. you have a little trolley that goes across it, and you put one little weight, you see if it handles that, and you keep going and build up the different yeah. weights. Now... I'd, it's a risk, don't get me wrong here, it's a risk because if we take some council engineers and we go along and we build a bridge and the kids beat us or the bridge collapses early, then maybe some people will have less confidence in the next bridge they drive over. I can see the social media post now, don't worry. You know, <laughs> now, kids are beating you, our engineers. We tend not to build bridges that are balsa wood, so there is that slight advantage yeah, yeah. in the real world. But it's actually quite good fun and normally the bridges we build uh, the, the council engineers we build with them are strong enough. They do handle the maximum weight that goes across there, which is good. Yep. Part of the competition for mm. the kids is try and build it as strong as possible with as few materials as possible. Because if there's mm. two bridges mm. that tie, they weigh those bridges, and the yep. one that uses the fewest materials actually still yeah, wins. So they're talking about cost efficiency as well. Exactly yes, right. So yes. that's fine. Now, this year, unfortunately, the high schools are in the first two days. Normally, I like to go along and compete against the high school. It seems unfair to compete against the primary school kids. They normally get the high school kids. <laughs> I don't know, I've seen a few of these primary school kids, Matt. They probably do me anyway. Well, they're pretty good, actually. Maybe not you, but they certainly beat me. <laughs> but we, the, for a whole bunch of reasons, we couldn't get there in the first two days. So I went along when the primary schools were there. Mm. And I, I didn't take engineers with me, so I didn't cheat with that. But I went along and just walked <laughs> around to the various tables. And yeah. Councillor Jess Goff was there. Oh, and yes. she went along as well and just talked to the various tables there. But I think, again, the kids like the fact that the mayor of the city bothers mm. to come along. And it's yeah, not just yeah. a cursory walk and get a photo and walk out the door. Yeah. I would have spent probably an hour and a half there 
just sitting at different tables with kids, asking them about their designs, what are they doing. Yes. Now, they've got helpers there. In fact, James Eddy from Senior Campus oh, provided – a number of the helpers from his classes for oh, the primary schools. Good on him. Yeah, That's so okay. there were volunteers. I think they had too many volunteers, actually. They had to yeah, yeah. cull the numbers back. But that was a way for those kids to use a bit of their science knowledge, but also yeah. just to get them in that realm of being mm-hmm. a teacher. Maybe that'll be something well, that they might... They say that to reinforce knowledge, the best way to do is to teach someone. Well, exactly right. Yeah. And so some of those kids that helped out might go on to be teachers, might mm. go on to be engineers, scientists, etc. But... The kids really love it, and I think that sort of collaboration we do see in Dubbo, yeah. talking to the University of Newcastle staff that were there that obviously mm. responsible for this program all over the place, mm. they're always very impressed with Dubbo. They're very impressed with the Rotary Clubs of Dubbo. Mm. Tony Gerrity was chair of the committee. I'm not sure if he still oh, is God, now. I love him. He's a great man. Yeah, yeah. so he, he is very focused and very passionate about it. So I think in general terms, they seem to do very well for Dubbo mm. and the number of school kids we have come along, not just from Dubbo but its surrounding schools mm. as well, that whole hub and spoke that we have here in Dubbo where mm. you get the schools from nearby, Wellington, etc. will come in yeah. and join in part of the program. But it was a good Wonderful. concept. Well, there is one question still, Matt. You haven't answered it. And, and the question is, of course, uh, did the junior engineers beat the high school kids? Are they safe for the job or are they maybe up for question marks? Uh, well, I don't know. I, I didn't stay till the final so, judging So they process. haven't gone out spruiking... I haven't heard Back it. At council? So, no. Right. Okay. So, so, all right. I haven't seen any social media posts to the contrary of that. That's all. But No. So, 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 so next week, I, I want an answer to the question because I want to know if these, these blokes are safe for their jobs for next week. Well, so we didn't take any engineers along, remember? But so, what, with the high schools? Afterwards, yeah. you didn't take any? Or? No. So we, the high schools, the first two days. Oh, okay. So for a whole range okay, of so, reasons, so we so couldn't they, get those. They missed. Ooh. Yeah, that's they probably right. probably got lucky so, this year. So I've they're seen safe. some of these yeah. kids. They're pretty bright. They've been they've been safe the last few years. I'll back the engineers of council. Excellent. We've been able to manage to build a bridge that's been able to beat all the high school kids so far, so, so that's so good. So undefeated at this point in time. That's right, exactly right. <laughs> so kids, there's your challenge. Now the gift of life baton. Now uh, this is a, a relay that sort of runs through uh, all over Australia and this is new to me. I didn't realise actually there was even a, a, a games that uh, which are referred to as the World Transplant Games. Now this is uh, a group... Uh, the baton runs, it came through town here the other day, uh, heading up, I think, somewhere up north, maybe the Gold Coast, I'm assuming, possibly, um, in regards to where these transplant games are going to uh, take place. So a couple of, there's lots of questions here, actually, in regards to it. I've got <laughs> <laughs> try to pull all this together. Uh, first and foremost, uh, talk about what happened here in regards to the baton relay who came through the other day. And then secondly, if you have any information about the World Transplant Games, I'm sure a few of the listeners out there would like to know about what are the World Transplant Games and, and how do you get involved in it? Well, I'm a bit like you that I didn't know anything about this. Oh. And one of the interesting things I find about the job of mayor is you learn a whole range of things, mm. snippets, not necessarily in-depth knowledge, but mm-hmm. snippets about a whole range. So you end up knowing little bits of stuff about a whole bunch of stuff. So yes, yes. limited knowledge, very yep. shallow knowledge, yep. but a, across a whole broad spectrum. So the World Transport Games are in Perth this year. The riders and the baton will make it over to Perth on Friday the 14th of April. And then the games start, I'm assuming they'll have some sort of opening ceremony. And then the games, the actual competition starts on the 15th of April, Saturday the 15th of April. And they've got a whole bunch of sports there, athletics, badminton, basketball, cycling, darts, golf, lawn bowls, running, football, triathlon, squash, swimming, table tennis, 10-pin bowling, tennis, volleyball. So a whole range of sports, like a mini Olympics if you like. The games have been held around the world at various times. They've been held in Australia 
two times before. They were in Sydney in 1997 and the Gold Coast in 2009. They haven't been staged since 2019 when they were held in England. They were meant to be held in Houston in 2021, but cancelled because of that little COVID-19 pandemic thing that came along and made changes to so many things. So it's two objectives for the Games. They like to promote organ donation and encourage more people across the world to register and support donation, and to also help recipients improve their health and fitness around their transplanted organ. And you can enter if you've been the recipient of an organ donation, and there's a whole range of rules around that about the exact type of donation and how long you've had the donation for, etc. And then they've also got some other events there where donor families uh, and living donors are invited to take part in a whole range of sporting events. So that's a slightly different competition. But really it's all about awareness and recognition of the whole donation program across the world. A few guys on motorbikes got together, well, as part of the whole process, Mm. with the baton and they said, we're riding 4,600 kilometres from Gold Coast to Perth through a whole range of different communities to basically talk about this. Now, the main focus here is really just making sure that people are aware. And so that was the message here. Mm. I talked to... the nature of transplants and stuff like that? Well, making sure you're on the list for a start. But I actually talked to the the group of guys that were there, that were on their motorbikes. And so I I assumed there would be some linkage there to a transplant. So I, Mm. I actually asked them, What's the linkage here? And mm. they talked to Gordo. 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 Hey, Gordo. And they said, Shout out to Gordo. Gordo here gave away a kidney. And I went, well, that's fantastic. What did he do? He gave away a kidney. Gave away a kidney. Well, so there's nothing wrong with him. Nothing he wrong did. with him. He he gave away one of his kidneys. He donated one of his kidneys. And wow. I, I assumed it would it's be very to a family member. And so I, I asked him further and he said, no. He said, I was fit and healthy and I'd heard about some people who needed a kidney and I thought, well, if I could give one of mine – I got another one. It's okay, and I'm sitting there going, "Wow, that's, that's a pretty <laughs> no, big I'm effort. with you, absolutely." <laughs> now yeah. I can understand if my wife, one of my yeah. children, yeah. needed a kidney transplant, yeah, then I wouldn't one hesitate. On the table, aren't you? That's it. But for a random person, and he will yeah. never know who received it. It's all anonymous. Wow. For a random person to say, "I'm going to give up one of my kidneys yeah. for them," you can still have kidney disease. You could still, yeah, yeah. Later on down the track, he might have a problem with his other kidney. Is, is this a second kidney like an insurance policy? For <laughs> well, <you>? like, <laughs> But I don't know he can ask yeah. for it back if he needs it sometime no, down the right. track. That's right. I hope someone's just as good for him if it happens to be exactly that way. Right. So I was pretty blown away by that. Yeah, I thought that was pretty absolutely. impressive. Well but, done, Gordo. But yeah. they also told me a few other stories about people who do, through a variety of different ways, it's meant to be anonymous, but sometimes people do find out about mm-hmm. it. And so, for example, they talked about one story where one gentleman had lost his son in a car accident. Mm. His son had basically been an organ um, donor and so there were other people that lived and he ended up meeting with those and every year they get together on the anniversary of his son's death and and here's this person sitting in front of him who is living a healthy full life because his son died so it's sad but also oh yeah absolutely uh, it's both isn't it sort of filled with mixed emotions on that story it is yeah so part of this is the, the awareness now I talked to them about that the whole awareness process now it used to be the process years ago that you just ticked a box on your license mm. and you were on the transplant list. So it's still not the case. You don't do that anymore. No, no. You've got to go and register. And I, I have posted this on my social media and I posted the link where to go. Mm. You can do it through your MyGov app. You can do it through your Medicare app. You can just go, if you just searched, 
you want to be on the transplant register and it's an Australian government website, mm. you can go in there and actually make sure your name's on the list. You can either check it's on the list or you can add it to the list. But the other thing they told me mm. was incredibly important to tell your family. Okay. Because even though you might have your name on the transplant list, so my name's on the transplant list, if something happens to me and my any of my organs are good enough, then sure, use them. If it helps someone else, so be it. I don't need them anymore. You just actually told quite a few people as well, outside of your family too. So true, we're, true. We're all, we're all there supporting that now. For yeah, you. right. Good, thanks. <laughs> uh, but again, it's very important that I tell mm. my wife and my, and my kids so that if something does happen one day, they can overrule it. They can say, no, we don't agree to it. Now, mm. they could point so what, to... What, 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 Parents, if you die, just pull up on that for a second. So if if you die and you've already just turned around and said and you've made the claim stated that I want my kidneys and everything else that can go to whoever feels fit to want need to take them because I don't need them anymore. But if you're dead and a parent or a family member whatever comes along and says you find out about it and they turn around and say no that's that's not the case we want Matt buried with all of his bits and pieces still intact. They overrule your right. So that whoever would be officially the next of kin. Yeah, right. What they told me, and again, this isn't legal advice, but this is the advice given by the people participating in this, yeah. was that you can have a family member overrule it. Now, it wouldn't be just any random family member. Yeah, It'd right. be someone who was responsible or next of kin or maybe the executive of your will, for example, but there'd be someone there in the family that can override that. Now, if you've told members of your family, I'm happy for my organs to be donated. Yeah then it's much less likely mm. that that family member is going to say, no, I want Mark to keep mm. all of his organs in the coffin mm. or want him to be cremated with all of his organs, whatever it might be. So that was an important message there. Absolutely. So I suppose that's, that's the message I'm yeah, passing yeah, on as well. Very important. To make sure... So communicate the register. message with those who need to know, basically. That's right, and, and yeah. tell people so that if it does happen, and let's hope it doesn't, let's hope that all mm. our listeners grow to be very old and die of old mm. age when their organs are no good yeah. to anyone else. Yes, but yes. unfortunately, things happen sometimes. So That's if right. you are a bit younger and you want to have your name on this, make sure you tell people around you yeah, exactly which is, whichever way it might be. Yeah. If you don't want them donated, then a doctor might come along and say, there's a perfectly healthy heart here. We really need a heart. Mm. Well, sorry, no, Mark said he didn't want that. And so, no. But again, they could overrule that as well. Yeah. So it goes oh, both ways. Wow. Oh, yeah. Again, can go both ways too. Yeah. Goodness me. So keep an eye out for that arriving in Perth on Friday, the 14th of April. Yeah, and again, shout out to Gordo. Well done, mate. Very impressive. Moving along here, Matt, uh, I noticed the fact that um, there's a bit section here in regards to the police and crime update, Um, and it appears as though the Irana Command, the gentleman, the superintendent who's been uh, here with the Irana Command now for a while, Danny Sullivan, has, uh, has moved on, and there's a new superintendent by the name of Timothy Chin, who's now here as our new superintendent here in town. Um, you had a meeting with uh, Superintendent Timothy Chin during the week, did you? No, I didn't yet, and this is only just a, a brand new announcement. I was speaking okay. to Brett Greentree recently, who sits above the Arana Command, yep. and we had a bit of discussion about Denny. Denny, I, I have a lot of time and respect for Denny. Mm. He was a superintendent. He was the Arana Commander, essentially, and he's been, I mean, I, I was very impressed with the work that he did while he was there, but he's mm. been sick, and so basically he's been replaced, and so best oh, wishes he? to Denny, oh, okay, and yeah, uh, I'm not sure how he's going to, to go, but best wishes to Denny, and, and again, I've got a lot of time and respect for Denny. Mm. But uh, Brett did talk to me about the fact that we really needed to have someone permanently in the role rather than acting in the role. There was yeah. someone acting in the role for the time being. So Timothy Chin has been appointed now, and that's good news from a policing perspective. Mm. So one of the first things I'll do is sit down and have a meeting, both my, the CEO and myself, 
typically have quarterly meetings with the police. We're not responsible for the police. We can't direct the police to do anything. They're all the state government responsibility. So we understand that. But I've always found in certainly my time as mayor, absolutely critical to have a good relationship with the police because there are times you might need the police to help in some small way without you having to say, I'm telling you to do this Mm. because you can't do that. Mm. But you can still have that relationship where you can say, Tim, we've got a bit of an issue here. Is there any chance that some of your guys could have a look at this issue? Now, if you've got a good relationship, the answer is probably going to be yes if the request is reasonable. If you never talk to the person except for the one time you need some help with something, Mm. it's probably a bit harder for them to justify dropping everything and coming out and helping whatever that situation might be. Now, we know we've had a bit of a process and it might get worse during the school holidays where some young people have been breaking into homes and businesses, have been some stolen cars. So there is a little bit of an uptick in crime with some of those opportunistic crimes. Mm. So we obviously want the police to be on top of it and they are as much as possible. Yeah. Resources are probably the biggest issue there. But again, that relationship going forward I think is very important. Timothy comes to us from Burke. So he was out at Burke, based out there as the command out okay. there. And so there's a few crime issues out in Burke. So mm. from yes, what I've sure heard... Yes, I'm sure he's not uh, dissimilar with uh, crime. I'm sure he's no, that's all right. over it, yeah. And some of the Burke people are a little bit unhappy with Dubbo at the moment because they've lost Timothy. The yes, that's exactly right. right. And he was a good operator out there from okay. the reports I've heard. So yeah. looking forward to meeting Timothy and just talking to him about crime in general and seeing what we can do if there's any strategies we can do. Do you catch up with the police regularly? Is this like a, a regular thing? You mentioned there earlier the fact you do catch up. Is that uh, like a once quarterly. a fortnight? A quarterly. Quarter, quarterly yeah. So quarterly we sit down and have a one-hour discussion about things in general, but there are other times mm. we'll see each other at functions. We like to, back when Danny was there, mm. we used to get Danny involved in new resident nights, for example. Okay. So everyone that's moved to Dubbo, here's things we're doing to introduce you to Dubbo. And mm. by the way, here's our commander, Danny Sullivan, because when you move to a new area, you might have things you're looking for, accommodation. So you might need some real estate places or mm. you, you might have some issue with crime that you don't know who to turn to, mm. at least having a contact there. And so Danny will normally do a bit of a talk just to not scare people, but just to say the police yeah. are here to help you out. Citizenship ceremonies, we normally have, or in the past we had Danny come along to those as well. Yeah, right, so okay. certainly yep. apart from a formal scheduled quarterly meeting, we also would have other times when Danny would be involved in various things functions and then likewise on the flip side of that when there were like they have an annual uh, award ceremony where they give various police various medals out for bravery etc then i would normally go along and be part of the official party there so it's a two-way street along those lines but again it's all about making sure we've got a good relationship with Mm. the police Mm. i think it's absolutely vital yeah well look to danny and your family we're wishing you all the very best it's a really interesting point of discussion, Matt. Uh, this next one regards to um, out at the cemetery and the, the Dubbo Regional Council Cemetery out there. Is this the one out on um, Bootham Bar Road? Is that the one? Which one's this one? Well, it's, it's actually in general. Generally, yeah, cemeteries so in general? Not, okay. There is an example about one particular cemetery, but okay. I suppose the message here is about all of our cemeteries. So we're talking about all cemeteries here in regards yeah. to one. So I suppose the, the discussion that I'd like to have a chat to you about is in regards to... Um, it is one of those things, I think, whereby uh, when we lose our loved ones and we go out to the cemetery, um, you know, there are certain things that we can put around um, where we have the plaque set in place there and quite often we put our flowers down there. But, uh, you know, people will come out and they'll bring out ornaments and they'll, they'll bring out other pieces that might even be from time to time, maybe little lights or whatever and things like that. Is, is there a rule that the council has in regards to what we can put out there on the grave 
areas of our loved ones because it, again I can see where this is a there's a lot of emotion that's normally associated with this and uh, emotion can quite often at times feel as though this is more important to overrule what are the rules and the regulations and, and that always becomes the point of discussion in, in any scenario so within council ranks what are the rules surrounding what we can and can't do and put on our cemetery plots we surprisingly enough have a policy around this. <laughs> I thought there would be. <laughs> and so this is a policy that council laws yes. have approved at some stage in the past and it just applies to a whole range of things just to make sure you're trying to keep things in a safe and orderly fashion. Mm. And I take your point that when you talk about cemeteries, when you talk about people being buried, it is certainly at the very beginning, but it can be for years after a very emotional time. And I do remember having a conversation with a gentleman many years ago now mm. And he was talking about the fact that his son had been killed in a car accident and talking about the process and he started to tear up and, mm. and I felt bad then because mm. I'd brought up this topic and mm. he was talking about it and he actually said to me, do you think you asking the question you asked has made me upset and made me start to think about my son? And I went, well, yes, I do actually and, and mm. I'm really sorry that's happened. He said, no. He said, don't feel bad. He said, I think about my son every day. Mm. So what you said didn't make me think about it because I think about him all the time. Don't feel bad about it. Mm. So... It's one of the things, and I haven't lost a son. I mean, I've lost my parents, but mm. they were quite elderly, and so you realise at some stage they're probably not going to be here forever. Yes. But I haven't lost someone that I didn't expect to lose at a very young age, and so it's hard for me to talk about it with any sort of example or any any real empathy around it because I just I haven't gone through those mm. emotions, and, mm. and I, I don't want to imagine what it's like. No, I can't begin no. to imagine what it's like for someone that's lost someone, but you can imagine if you go out to a cemetery and you've just lost someone that might be your son or daughter in a car accident, for example, and you want to put some things around their gravesite to just really show them how much you miss them, yeah. show other family members how much you miss them, that all makes sense. Mm. But from our perspective, we've got to make sure the entire cemetery is a safe and respectful place for people. Yeah. So there might be some things that people put around a gravesite, for example, that are not respectful for other people. Yeah. They might put things... So, for example, we've had fairy lights put around gravesites. Now, our staff out there mow the mm -hmm. cemetery area, yeah. and if they just left fairy lights, there would be very easy for a fairy light to be wrapped around a mower blade, which would damage that, which that person wouldn't be happy with. Yeah. It could damage other gravesites around. It could damage the person driving the mower, for example. Yeah. So there's been things like that. There have been chairs placed. There have been extensive displays of flowers and flower pots to the stage where it's actually overshadowing other graves mm. nearby. Mm. So there have been times where we've said to the next of kin, please remove those. We don't want to go and mm. throw them in the bin. Can mm. you please remove those? And of course, sometimes that's an emotional conversation Absolutely. because yeah. that's my daughter you're talking about. Yes. Don't tell me that I can't grieve with those things there for yeah. my daughter, for example. So it's yeah. a tough one for council, but we, we have to take a step back and we don't want to get wrapped up in the emotion of it because yeah. we have to make decisions without emotion sometimes. You have to make Absolutely. very tough decisions. So Absolutely. when we ask people to do that, and I've seen a bit of commentary on social media around it where people mm. have been very upset and very angry with council, and I get that. I understand why they're emotional, but at the same time, we've got, a, we've got rules that we apply. And one of the things that I've always said about having policies and rules is that you do those in when you don't have the heat of the emotion in the discussion. Yeah. So you, you make a policy decision when you're sitting around at a council meeting yes. when no one's just thinking about someone they've just lost or you're not sitting there highly emotional. And then when it becomes an emotionally charged situation, you can look back to that policy and say, no, when we're all feeling sensible and rational and not 
highly charged emotionally, we made these decisions, so these are the best decisions to yes. make. Yes. I often talk about the best time to make decisions for drought is when we've got flood, and the best time to make decisions for flood is when we've got yes. drought. Yes. It's the same sort of thing. Well, yeah. no, that's probably a bit too no, trivial with, with, yeah. with human emotions there because yeah. it's not the same as losing someone. But again, we've got the policies in place. We, as respectfully as possible, stick to those policies mm. and try and have those discussions with people but we do try and keep the grave area safe. Now, if people think that we're being unreasonable, the best thing to do is look at the policy, mm. find in the policy where they're breaching that policy, and then make a request to some councils to change that policy. We have the power. Councils have the power to change those policies. If we look at those policies in an unemotional way and think that they're not reasonable and we need to change those, then I'm sure councils will change those. But that's how we've got to look at these things. So it's a very tough one. And it is a tough one because it's exactly what you state. Um, it's one of the things I say to kids when I'm sitting down and, and talking to kids in their, their emotional space and they're, they're talking about I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And one of the lines I'll always say to them is, never make a decision from a position of weakness. And it's it's a very similar sort of scenario when you bring emotion into anything. You know, This is where the objective argument has to come in. And this is the role of council here, is, is to be objective and to, to put in place for the, the better of all. Whenever we lose someone, it's always so subjective and there's always so much emotion surrounding that objectivity of you know the, what other people should be thinking and how they should be reacting. But when it comes to this, the, the council has to have rules and regulations for the betterment of all. Yeah. And that's the reality of what it is, isn't it? So, that's But you're right, that there is a process. If people want to appeal decisions or to to go through and sort of say this is wrong, well, there's a process they can follow. And our staff, to a certain extent, have their hands tied because they've got a policy of council. Mm. Now, as a councillor, I'm not happy that we've got a policy that we've set as councillors, whatever the group of councillors set, that there's a council policy there. Yeah. And our staff say, oh, yeah, look, that's the policy, but it's a bit silly, isn't it? We'll just let you do whatever you want, or we'll just let you mm. have that and mm. just ignore the policy. Now, I hope and I have no evidence to suggest otherwise that the policies of council are followed to the letter mm. by our staff. And quite so, they're legally bounding too. That's binding. Well, they should, they should yeah. be exactly right. So if you've got a problem with something that's happening with some of those things, don't take it out on the staff member. Mm. They're following the policy of council. Talk to a councillor and say, this is the policy. I think it's not right. I think you'd change it. And then that's a process. Now, I'm not saying that it'll be changed, but that's where councillors would look at that to say, yes. yes, we think that's reasonable or no, we think it's unreasonable. Let's make a change there. But mm. again, it's not the staff member no. making those rules. It's the policies of council set by councillors yeah. that make those rules. So that's where the change is going to come from. Absolutely. This exciting little one here, Matt, in regards to uh, potentially what I'd regard as uh, a massive new development uh, looking at might be taking place, and you can confirm or deny if this is going to happen, but it appears as though there's a new medical precinct maybe about to open up here in town, and phase one, uh, or stage one, could potentially be starting very soon. Is this correct? You've got the good oil. I've got you? the good mail coming through today, folks. Here we go. Talk me through it. What's so happening? So up at Road, you'll remember the old telecom building that used to be there just before the railway line. We're talking about if you're going out the Golden Highway yes. or out Kabora Road on the left-hand side before the railway line, just on the northern side of the, of the road Where there. there used to be, of course, the Telstra Oval. In well, probably it was the called back. the Telecom Oval. Back telecom Oval would have been too. Yes. Yeah. See, the, I'll tell you a little story. Sorry to hold up because it's a very exciting story, but I have to tell my own little personal thing here. That's where I scored my highest amount of runs in under-16s. <laughs> I scored 36, was run out by a certain gentleman who still lives in town, so I'm not going to mention his name here in publicly. But I was 36 runs, I was on my way to that glorious first 50 and got run out. But anyway, that's, that's, I've, 
It's holding on to it. I know I should let this thing go, but anyway, it's a long time ago. That was, they weren't in the days when you had to retire at 30, were they? they no, were I, I could get to 50 and do it back yeah, then, right, but yeah. uh, <laughs> that, that was my one chance of glory. But sorry, <laughs> I, I interrupt what is obviously a very important announcement. So we're, we're talking here massive new medical precinct. What's going on? Well, and some private developers have owned that land and they've been looking at what they might do with that particular parcel of land. There have been various discussions over the years about what might go there. I think even at one stage there was a master's hardware store that was potentially going to go there. Yes. And master's hardware didn't go very well in Australia. They opened right. up a few no, sites and then closed them right. down they, pretty quickly. exactly sort of gone by the wayside, yes. Yeah, that's right. So I was probably lucky that didn't happen there Absolutely. From, from a community point of view. Mm. But potentially there, there's a DA has been lodged now and you can go and look. We've got a DA tracker on our website so you can go and look at that. Yeah. Total investment for the all the stages, the four stage or five stages of it, mm. could be in the vicinity of one hundred and fifty million dollars to the building. Isn't it? Wow, we're talking is. significant development here. We are. Stage one is about thirty million dollars, so yeah, it's still right. quite significant. Yeah, yeah. Stage one is a four-story building, healthcare, education, a bit of retail, pharmacy, that sort of thing in there. Yes. Uh, there'll be some consultation rooms, some day procedures in there as well. And what I typically see with these sort of facilities is that you'll have maybe a GP yeah. and then you might get a couple of specialists that might sit up around there and then the pharmacy sits up there so the GP mm-hmm. can send people just out the door around the corner yep. and there's yep. the pharmacy there. there. So again, with Dubbo acting so much as a service hub for the region, mm-hmm. we often talk about a population of maybe 160,000 that we mm-hmm. service, mm-hmm. then more medical facilities absolutely important and that mm-hmm. actually helps our retirement process as well. Many years ago, I was chairman of WC Development Corporation and we did some analysis on where Dubbo would be in the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years. And one of the conclusions we made was that Dubbo was perfectly positioned to be an area where people would retire to. Mm-hmm. In particular, we felt from in the region, mm-hmm. so the Burks, the Bawarinas, the Cobars, because we had better medical facilities. Yep. And we thought there might also be potential from people from the cities because cheaper cost of living. Yes. So if you if you almost owned your house in Sydney or you half owned your house in Sydney yeah, when yeah. you retired, you might say, well, I can keep paying this off for the next 20 mm. years of my life or I could sell up capital gains tax-free because I own the place. Yes. It's in my name. It's my primary place of residence, etc. Don't want to give tax advice here. But, <laughs> <laughs> but then take that money and move yeah. out to somewhere regional. And that's what's happening. We are seeing All right, okay. over 55 villages well. yeah. now. Yeah. We're, we're seeing more uh, aged care facilities in Dubbo mm. and we're seeing more medical facilities to look after some yeah, of those yeah. people. So that's pretty exciting. So stage two is basically a three-storey building as part of that. So, so this is on top of the four-storey one? That's it, well, not separate on top sort of, of it, separate, yeah, 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 separate yeah. sort of thing. Um, and so stage three is another three-storey building and then it keeps going down through to stage five, which would be a, a couple of two-storey buildings that would mm. be specifically for seniors living. So oh, right, okay. a whole range of steps in there. Yeah. They see the first part being that primary health care, uh, maybe some secondary health care from mm. that, and then some of those mm. retail uh, shops around that. So pretty exciting. Yeah. What this says to me is that, yes, this is another development, a, a large development, mm. but you don't have developers who want to invest in that. You don't have developers, just to get to this point, mm. they might have spent already a quarter of a million dollars, maybe even more than that, mm. on getting all these plans ready to be lodged mm. to council. You don't do all that unless you've got confidence, yeah, and that's yeah. confidence in... And a significant sign of confidence. Exactly right. You don't have confidence in just one part of it. You have confidence in the local economy, mm. the local community. You have confidence in the local council. Are mm. they going to stick to the to the rules, the zoning that's sitting there at the moment? Is that going to be adhered to? And I remember years ago when there was discussion at one stage for the old RAF base, and I'm going back way before Bunnings came to Dubbo, there was some discussion 
when that particular parcel of land was owned by John Caceres, mm. that there might have been a Bunnings there. John Caceres was pushing hard for that. Mm. It wasn't zoned appropriate for that, and there tried to be some rezoning put in, and there were a whole range of things happening. There was other land that was zoned appropriately in Dubbo for a Bunnings and for various industrial land. And council at the time said that we had enough appropriately zoned land that we didn't need to go and rezone that entire parcel of land. So in the end, it didn't go ahead there. John Casir's proposal didn't happen and, and we're progressing mm. as to where we are now. But one of the developers who I spoke to not that long after that decision said, gee, I'm, I've got confidence in this council. And I, I said, why? Because you might have thought that developers might have been unhappy with the fact that we didn't mm. rezone something to help a developer. Mm. And this developer said, I've got confidence because you had a plan, as in council, not just me, you had a plan where you had certain sites zoned appropriately around town. When someone came along and wanted to change that, change the, the landscape effectively, then you didn't just go and accede to the whim of a developer. Mm. Mm. You said, here is our strategy. Here's our long-term vision. Here's our master plan. Here's our master plan. Yeah. We should be sticking with that because yeah. that's the best for the Unless you can demonstrate that suddenly what we planned has changed dramatically, we've mm. run out of all our industrial land, for example, mm. then this particular developer said, I've got confidence in investing in Dubbo knowing that you're going to stick to the rules mm. and it's going to be adhered to that long-term strategy. And so I'd say in this, this scenario... This must fit right in the middle of this master plan then, surely. Well, this here, yeah. again, that land is zoned appropriately for all of that, but you don't find people that are going to go and put $150 million on the ground if they think, but this council's a bit flimsy, not sure if they're going to stick yes. to those rules, not sure if we're going to have something else pop up that'll flood the market. So yes. I think that's a, a tick of approval for the council, but also just the community and the economy in general. I think big ticks of approval oh, for all wonderful. of those. Yeah. Oh, how and, exciting to see. And I think there would be a great facility there. Absolutely. And Matt, this weekend, uh, you mentioned one at the top of the uh, the program here, our little podcast here in regards to the man from Ironbark Festival. Now, you've been a, uh, a regular participant in the Ironbark Festival. This is even sort of prior to Mayor Days, I suggest. You go out there and you do your poetry and all of that sort of stuff. Here, we've all, We all know your, your great talents with the limericks, but I know you broaden your talent beyond the limerick base to other forms of poetry as well. But you got out there this weekend. How was the Ironbark Festival, the man from Ironbark Festival? A bit wet. It was, really, it was it? Devastating. I've been involved in organising various things where sometimes something doesn't go quite right at the end. Yes. But Marcus Henney there and the Stuart Town Advancement Association, the STAA, yes. I think do a fantastic job for Stuart Town. Stuart Town's actually got two progress associations, the Star and the Stag. For a small community, yeah, right. they've got okay. some very community-focused yeah, people, yeah. which is great to see. So the Star organises the Man from Ironback Festival. Yep. Saturday, Easter Saturday every year. And yeah, you're right, I've, I've done various poetry sessions mm. out there. I've done that with my kids at times mm. when they've been young enough that they would still listen to their dad and mm. go along with them to, to perform some poetry. Mm. So it's been, uh, over the years, it's changed its shape and size and how they do things. Mm. And I had really big visions for this year and went down there and it was actually building up quite early in the morning. I thought, this is looking, looking fantastic. Good. yeah. Yep, yep. And then it just started to get some drizzle and oh, no. almost rain. You probably could call it rain at one stage there. Yep, yep. But when we did the opening ceremony, for example, we had the chairs sitting out there ready for people to listen to the opening ceremony out in the open, had zero people seated in those chairs. Oh, no. <laughs> but oh, no. having said that, there were people around at the various right, schools okay. yep. and the, the, the speaker system went across the whole area yes, there. So yes. people could still hear the official opening and all the rest of it there. Yep. But... I just I feel for Marcus a little mm. bit. He was a bit devastated. So was it the weather? Was that what deterred people this year? Well, or? I I I 
think by the end of the day it was okay. I still yeah, the numbers okay. came through and the weather cleared up, but you, you do all that organisation for it all, yeah. and you're there at the morning, and people are starting to roll in, and then the rain starts, yeah. and you just sit back and just go, oh uh, no. And poor I, things. I actually spoke to a few people who were down at the dam for a ski, and they went, oh, yeah. we're, we're staying at the dam for the weekend, but we're going to duck over to Stewart Town. And then when yeah. they saw the rain, they sent me a text, how's it looking? Yeah. And I went, oh, still calm. It's a little bit wet, but I don't think they did because they yeah. thought the rain. So I'm sure the numbers were down because yeah. of the rain, not because of the organisation. Yeah. But that happened, and planning an outdoor event, it's yeah. oh, always a risk you take. It's a and risk you take. You've been to the the Mayor from Ironbark Festival a few times, as I mentioned there. So what if, let's say for next year, Let's uh, unfortunately this year we had the, the rain and the issues there, but it'll be back again, I'm sure, next year, bigger and better. What do people, or what should people expect when they go along to the Mayor from Ironbark Festival? Because again, this is one of those ones, a bit like the Wellington, uh, we talked about this the other week, about the Wellington Antique Show, I've got to get that to next Vintage year. Vintage Fair, yeah. Vintage Fair. So yeah. uh, what do people should expect in regards to the Mayor from Ironbark Festival? Well, poetry for a start. Poetry. poetry. So if you're a lover of yeah. poetry, you, you should that's go right. along. Okay. That's right. uh, and Greg North was there this year too, so he's an Australian bush poet champion, so he oh, was doing okay, some poetry yeah. as well. So I'm assuming it's all Banjo Patterson stuff, is it? Oh, maybe, not necessarily, or? no. Just okay, so broad uh, poetry. Normally bush poetry style bush poetry, poetry style, yeah, yes, yeah which is banjo style yes. but obviously there's lots of other Bit of henry lawson thrown in yeah, cj a whole, dennis a whole range of of other even modern ones that are doing oh, that same okay. sort of bush and when i say bush poetry if you look at that bush poetry style it's more about the the meter and the rhythm of bush poetry more mm. than just the topic people think bush poetry must be about the the bush as such mm. but there's one poem that I've written, for example, that I, I do regularly at various places that talks about my kids not doing the washing up, not doing the dishes after mm. dinner. Mm. And and I would still describe that as bush poetry because of the style mm. and the rhythm of that poem and the number of syllables in each line, that type of thing. Yeah. So, so yeah, so expect poetry is the okay. first thing. Yep. Obviously, yep. me and from Ironbuck Festival, you can't have that without having a fair bit of poetry. Yep. But lots of stalls, okay. lots of different organisations involved, lots of, like, there's a, a band playing there, right. lots of atmosphere. Bush band sort of style? Uh, there, was, there was actually more uh, a pipe band type oh, okay. uh, style there. And then uh, at another part, because it's a fairly big area mm. there, uh, another part there where you've got um, some people performing, might be singers, might be doing poetry, a whole yep. range of different performances there, yep. and lots of stalls set up so you can buy all sorts of different trinkets and all sorts of yep. different things. Yep. Car display there as well. Okay. So, yeah, look, yeah. a whole range of things. And Stuart Town, so go back a bit. From my perspective, there's a bit of history there because yeah. when it was called Ironbark, the first Dickerson that moved to Australia was from the Royal Navy in England, moved to Australia and moved to Ironbark in 1849. That's about oh, really? the earliest Dickerson we can yeah, find. Right. It was about, and there's a, a couple of different dates I'm not sure of here, either 1899 or 1892, yep. sorry, 1889 or 1892. Sir Alex Stewart was the Premier of New South Wales just before that time. Right. And... I think he wanted somewhere named after him. He thought he was important enough that the Premier should have somewhere named after him. So they renamed Ironbark to Stuart Town. Is that right? Because that was a question I was going to ask you. Like, why would you change a name, which obviously has now the history, of course, of Ironbark, man from Ironbark with mm. Banjo Patterson. Why would you change that to Stuart Town? Ego. Ego. <laughs> It's a dirty word. <laughs> Skyhook's got it sorted, didn't they? <laughs> Goodness did. me. So I and I don't know. I actually should go and research it a bit more, but I don't know whether Sir Alex Stewart drove the change or some of his good friends said, "Gee, you're a good guy. We I should go and name somewhere after you." A little place out there near Dubbo. It's got a bit of a dam nearby. But that's damn what it was built back then. So no, no, it was just right. a bit of a river running through it and nearby. And yep. And we're going to rename it. Really? Yeah, oh, so, goodness me. So named after Sir Alex Stewart. Yep. And maybe there's a tradition that will start there. Maybe we'll have. 
Mind Town and Perite Town. Who knows? So <laughs> keep an eye out if you're in those small villages. I was going to say, watch out those small villages. Your name's up for grabs. That's right. Maybe Gear in one garden. Yeah, we'll have your name it, soon. Yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to think of some of the other ones. You know, O'Farrell Town, yeah. Baird Town. I oh mean, there's God, a whole the range of things. So, oh, <laughs> so if, if you took when we've had some deputy premiers filling in the premier way, you could have Tool Town, for yeah, example. Yes, so. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the listeners as we keep going on That's and right. on. So, look, a good festival. Yeah. And like lots of those little festivals, it's just great to hang mm. around some of the locals there, talk to some of the local people involved. But there's passion. Like Marcus Henney is very passionate mm. about what he does there. And I love talking to Marcus because mm. he always is very passionate about not just Stuart Town, but things that are happening around Stuart Town. So for a very small community, yeah. a very small village, it actually gets involved in a lot of things and I think punches well above its weight. Oh, so absolutely. Well, next it, year, it's, it's on my list to do as well. I've got a few a, things to do for next year. You've you made me very busy, I tell you now, but it's all good. Well, the other thing that I often do when we drive through that way, or used to do more when the kids were young and we drive through that way, is stop at the cemetery and I'd say to the kids, Go and look for Dickerson headstones, and there's yeah. a number of them there. And Priest is another one, apparently. Kids would love that, wouldn't they? Well, what fun! Oh, what, 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 what could be more hey, fun kids, than looking through? Welcome to the dead centre of town. Here we go. We're <laughs> That's <gonna> right. <laughs> and and Priest is the other one, apparently. Uh, apparently, the the Dickerson when the the first Dickerson that yeah. came over, my great 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 grandfather, yeah. I think it was, when he married, he married a priest. So there's a few priest surnames in the cemetery which are related to me as well and then the, the Dickerson name in the cemetery right, as well. Right. So. You, you had all the fun games as a growing <laughs> up, didn't you? <laughs> Windmills and looking through the Stuart Town Cemetery. Cemeteries, ah, oh, there it is, eh? I have, joked, I have joked with Stuart Town residents that maybe it's time to start a movement to rename it back to Iron Bar. Yes, mm. yes, I, I'm fully for that one. <laughs> <laughs> Well, mate, it's that time. Speaking of poetry, I think it's uh, that's a cute little segue, I'd suggest, moving into poetry there. As, of course, it's your chance now. No, you didn't get much of a chance there today with uh, the man from Ironbark Festival uh, having to sort of be put on the back burner a bit. But now's your chance with your Limerick of the Week. What have you got for us? Well, it's hard to pick this week what to do the Limerick on because there were so many exciting things, mm. but it's hard for me to go past citizenship. I yes. just get excited by that. Yes. So Excellent. The topic for this week is about citizenship. So here we go. Dubbo's heart swelled with elation as 33 gained a new station. Now Aussies they be in the land of the free, a part of their newfound nation. Oh, well done. Well done. Well, folks, you might have missed him out there today out at uh, the Man from Ironbark Festival. But I tell you what, we've got a chance to hear him here live on our little podcast. All right, folks, happy Easter to all of you. I hope you have a wonderful day today. I hope those chocolate eggs you've got in abundance. Until next week, everyone, get out there. Enjoy this beautiful weather coming up. See you all next week. Meryl Meryl. Meryl Memo with Matthew Dickerson from Dubbo Regional Council.